Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day Spooky Season. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Spooky Season. For September and October, I'm focusing on things that I would love to talk about all the time, but wouldn't normally on this specific channel because they're not true crime related. Um, but it's kind of all things dark history, paranormal, haunted, maybe some aliens, maybe some conspiracy theories. We don't know. It'll be everything. All of the spooky things that are adjacent to true crime, but that are not true crime. You feel me? Especially around Halloween, I love this kind of content, so get comfy, get yourself a pumpkin drink, even if it has to be an iced one because it's still one million degrees, uh-huh. Listen, spooky season has nothing to do with temperature and everything to do with vibes, so it's spooky season in our hearts. Today I am talking about some dark history, some urban legends, and some spooky tales from the city of London around the London Bridge. I went on a dark history ghost tour that I found through Airbnb while I was in London a few weeks ago, and I took extensive notes on my phone the whole time like a total creep. Worth it because I'm so excited to tell you the cool and sometimes horrible things I learned about London. I'll link the Airbnb experience in the show notes if you're ever in London and need something cool to do. Um, our tour guide was amazing and really fun and so interesting and it was just lovely. So personally, I always like to look through Airbnb tours first because they're run by locals. So you're supporting like a small business before I go to the bigger tours um, through like actual tour companies. So there's a travel tip for you. I will link that if you want to do this while you're in London. Anyways, here we go. Oh, really quick. I forgot. I have some spooky season merch, my very first merch. My friend Melanie designed this amazing, uh, cute, and kind of creepy invest googler design. It's a skeleton hand holding a magnifying glass. If you're watching on YouTube, I will put a picture of it. If you're not watching on YouTube, you can find it on my Instagram and the merch website, which I will link. Um, I love it. Melanie did such an amazing job. Uh, you have the option to get a sticker, a mug, a hoodie, a crew neck sweatshirt, or a long sleeve tee. And Anyone who orders merch, whether it's a sticker, whether it's a hoodie, whether it's five hoodies, um, you get entered to win automatically to a giveaway drawing for a $100 shop credit to Melanie's shop. She is so cool and so talented. She has incredible designs and beautiful artwork. So go get some merch, follow Melanie on Instagram. Everything as always will always be linked in the description box, the show notes, or if you forget where that is, it will be linked in my Instagram bio. Okay enough talking. Now let's get spooky. So most of the information that I am using for my notes for this, I took on my tour, but I did a little invest googling to fill in any gaps and double check a couple of things. Up first, let's talk about the time they found a bunch of skeletons under the London Bridge and it freaked everyone out so much that people were quitting their jobs. In 2007, a bunch of skeletons were found in a sealed vault under the London Bridge by men who were excavating for the London Bridge experience. And at first, no one was really worried since finding skeletons while excavating very old cities is not that unusual. Um, it, this has been assumed to have been a plague pit. Again, not uncommon for a city as old as London. But then weird things started happening to these people that were working on this site. The workers would go on their break and come back to find that their tools had just disappeared. Then suddenly their lights would stop working or a light bulb would blow out even though none of the electricians could find anything wrong with the wiring or the bulbs. It got to the point where they all decided to work in pairs because it was so creepy and weird to be down there alone. One of the contractors said it was just a general feeling like someone was watching them. 
These spooky happenings even made it to mainstream news, which hardly ever happens. Um, BBC did an article about the workers finding skeletons and were kind of, I couldn't tell if they were being like, they're being ridiculous or if they actually believed them. But they did mention that these guys say it's haunted. And a lot of people ended up quitting this project because of the ghost happenings down below the city. I don't blame them. It sounds terrifying even if you didn't find skeletons down there. It would just be the vibes. Southwark. Southwark. You guys, spell it, spell it like you say it because I'm going to pronounce things wrong. The Southwark Cathedral, spelt Southwark, I'm glad that I looked it up. The Southwark Cathedral is the oldest Gothic church in London. One famous story about the Southwark Cathedral comes from the 1100s. There was a man named John Overs who made a ton of money taking people across the River Thames before the London Bridge was built. He had a monopoly basically over this river, so he was making all of the money. He, of course, had a humongous house with plenty of staff and servants who all hated their penny-pinching employer. John had a daughter named Mary, who he would basically never let out of his sight. He wanted her to stay single and take care of him and his house forever. One day, our friend Johnny Boy came up with a devious plan to fake his own death to save money. Tradition goes that when the head of the household dies, the household staff weren't supposed to eat or drink anything until the funeral was over. John was like, that'll save me a ton of money. Let's do it. Um, this could take weeks sometimes that people would just not eat or drink anything. I'm not sure what he thought his excuse was going to be when he suddenly turned back up alive and well, but he went for it. And of course, Mary had to agree to help him stage the scene. So John's laying there covered with a cloth so that people could come and pay their respects and mourn over the tragic loss of their boss. Well, his staff wasn't as bummed out as he had hoped. In fact, they threw a party. They ate all the food and drank all the wine and cheered that the world had one less selfish rich guy in it. The whole time, John is laying there under his cloth getting more and more angry until finally he couldn't take it anymore. He sits up, throws the cloth off, and started telling these people off, yelling at them, whatever. Well, this was the 1100s, and a body that was moving when it was supposed to be dead could only mean one thing, demons. So the staff did the only thing they could and beat the life out of John using the very oars he used to row people across the river and make all of his money. To be fair, they weren't trying to murder him. They thought he was a demon. Mary was very sad to lose her father in such an insane way, but also his death meant that she could finally marry her secret lover. She sent word to this man who, of course, jumped on his horse and hurried to meet her. However, on his journey, something spooked his horse People think maybe it was the ghost of John trying to selfishly keep this man from the inheritance money that he'd left Mary. The man was thrown from the horse and he died. Mary was, of course, devastated at losing her boyfriend and her dad so quickly and in such strange ways, but she was very, very kind and seemed to be the opposite of everything her father was. So she became a nun and devoted her life to doing good for others. Mary founded a convent in the church that would eventually be named the Southwark Cathedral, and Mary was made a saint because of her charity work, and there are several memorials to her around the Southwark Cathedral. In a place so rich with history, I can only imagine there are all kinds of ghostly spirits and all kinds of creepy vibes in that cathedral. And even places that aren't necessarily haunted, they just have a vibe. You know what I mean? So let's talk about the Winchester Palace. The Winchester Palace was also built in the 1100s, they were busy in those days, and took up a ton of space spreading from the River Thames and all of the buildings surrounding it that are now there. 
It was used up until the 18th century and was mostly destroyed by a fire. If I understand correctly, it was destroyed multiple times by fires, but they kept rebuilding it. And then eventually it got to a point where it was so bad that they could only use pieces of it. Um, it's a really interesting area because there are these very modern looking brick buildings that have apartments in them that have these pieces of this old building around it that are from the 1100s. It's just crazy. So one of them in particular is called the Rose Window. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'll put a picture and a little clip so you can see what this courtyard area looks like. If you're listening audio only, it's basically this huge window that's made of stone that has all of these intricate details in it. This particular part of the Winchester Palace that still stands was part of the Great Hall where people would come and socialize. And part of these social gatherings included where you could go and find a lady to spend the evening with. This whole area of Southwark was like party central from what I understand. They were all like medieval sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Of course, sex work, the world's oldest profession, was making a ton of money. So, of course, the Bishop of Winchester, a man of the Lord but a man who also liked money apparently, decided that as the landlord of the area, he would employ these sex workers and let the brothels stay because he taxed the shit out of them. A line from an article on the TemblarKnight.com said, quote, Medieval attitudes toward prostitution seem to be mixed. Sex was clearly for procreation, but these fallen ladies seem to have been viewed as a way of preventing good Christian men falling into even worse practices like sodomy or masturbation. Yikes, not that! Which were seen as mortal crimes by the church. End quote. Which I just had to share with you because it made me laugh. Um, so the women who worked the brothels in this area became known as the Winchester Geese. Many of the Winchester geese would use rose oil to create a more pleasant spell. Everyone is obviously very unwashed in these days. So these women would meet men in this great hall area, and business was booming. Unfortunately, so were STDs and all kinds of other illnesses and misfortunes. One of the major things being spread around was syphilis, and people would try to make light of the situation, saying that they'd been quote-unquote bitten by a Winchester goose or had goosebumps. Not to be confused with, you know, cold goosebumps different. Next time someone says they have goosebumps, don't assume it means something else. People have said that when they walk through the area near the rose window, they have heard sounds that sound like women laughing, but no one else is around. People have also said they'll feel breath on the back of their necks or cold fingers grasp at their arms or even the feeling of a ghostly bosom pressing against them. One of the Winchester geese trying to entice them? Maybe. People who have experienced these things have told different stories, but they have all mentioned one same detail, that they smelled roses. While I was there, I did not see any ghost boobies, but there were, again, definitely the spooky vibes that often come with places that are very old with lots of creepy history. Right around the corner from the Rose Window is one of the oldest prisons in London. People called it the Clink Prison. This possibly came from the sound that the metal made when blacksmiths closed the shackles around your ankle with that sharp clink. So people started saying that you would be thrown in the clink, so that's where that term comes from fun thing to know. Um, this was another place that was set up by the Bishop of Winchester, and it was an absolute nightmare. Until 1780, it held all of the prisoners of London, whether you were in trouble for stealing or murder or everything in between. Men, women, and even some children were kept in this prison. The cells were windowless and had nothing in them, no light, no water, not even a pile of straw to use as a pillow. If you had enough money, you could pay to have those things. So this prison was making a lot. The Clink Prison was very well known because of the horrible torture that they would put people through. And again, if you were rich enough, you could pay to get less torture. If you were poor, you would get the worst of it. So skip ahead like one minute if you have a weak stomach because the next thing is really gross um, to tell. But interesting, but disgusting. I think you get it because you're on this channel so you understand the 
morbid curiosity thing. To get information out of people, or confessions, they would do this insane thing because it was the cheapest way to torture people, I think. Um, basically, they would tie a prisoner face up to a table, and they would put a copper pot on top of their stomach. And inside of this pot would be a rat. So they would heat the pot, the rat would freak out, trying to escape this copper pot that felt like it was on fire, so your skin is burning, the rat's burning, so there was nowhere else to go but down into your stomach. Um, so if you were one of the very unfortunate souls who was questioned by this method, you would either die because you confessed to a crime and were executed, or you'd still plead your innocence, but you would still die from the disease and after effects of, you know, having a rat shred your guts. Not great. Luckily, not everyone in London was super cruel and down for all of these insane punishments and things. So there were people that tried to storm the Clink prison to let people out. They tried to burn it down multiple times. There were riots. And eventually, there was one that was big enough that everyone broke in and set all of the prisoners free. Eventually, it was burned down and they never rebuilt it. One original wall still stands and that is part of what is now the Clink Museum. It's actually right next to this really lovely steakhouse that our friend took us to the day after the tour. And because of who I am as a crime creep, I had to try really hard to not mention the rat torture information during our meal. So if you're going to go, maybe go to dinner and then go to the Clink prison so you don't have an upset stomach before you go eat. The Clink prison is, of course, hella haunted. It has to be. With all the horrid things that happen there, there's no way there's not some ghouls and ghosts hanging around. Some of the ghosts that have been spotted there are a shadowy hooded figure that resembles a monk and a little girl ghost who plays with the prison chains which is very sad, but also kind of nice. Our tour guide was friends with some of the people who work at the Clink, so she's always asking for, like, spooky updates. And she said that most recently there have been things flying off of shelves, and every night as part of their closing routine, they go through and lock all of the cells. But there have been multiple times where the opener the next morning will find that some of the locks have been broken open and no one can explain how. One of the people who works at the front desk said that one evening during closing, there were two of them working, and they looked at the CCTV cameras just to make sure that no one was still wandering the museum and they knew that it was closed. They both saw something at the bottom of the steps down into the dungeon area, and it looked like a person laying at the bottom of the stairs. One of them ran down to check on this person, but when they got there, the person was gone. So she figured that maybe they just got up and left, whatever. She called up to her coworker and asked if they saw where the customer went, but her coworker said that she could still see the weird shape on the CCTV camera. Maybe a trick of the light? Maybe a ghosty playing pranks. I like to think it was maybe a little ghost playing a prank on his coworkers because they all work at the Clink prison, right? He's there to scare people. They're there to do tours. So the street was really busy when we were on our tour, so I unfortunately did not see any ghosts. But again, that dark history creates that weird feeling. And I don't know if you're like this, but whenever I visit places rich with history, whether it's happy or spooky, there's just that overwhelming feeling of just the amount of people who have walked through there and their stories of everyone that's been there. I just feel like it like leaves behind a little piece of something. Maybe I'm insane and you don't feel that way, but I think a lot of you probably do. One of my all-time favorite urban legends I think I have ever heard is that of the Rat Queen of the Thames. In the 19th century, there were men who had the job of toshers, which was searching the sewers. Not fun. Not sanitary. But they would make a lot of money because they would search for lost things like coins and jewelry and stuff like that and then sell it and make a ton of money. So this is the story of where the Rat Queen was born. According to the toshers, the Rat Queen would watch them from the corners in her little rat form. But if she saw a tosher that she was impressed with, she would turn into a beautiful human form and seduce them. If the tosher satisfied her needs, 
They would go on to live full lives full of good luck and fortune. But if he displeased her or guessed her true identity, she would bite him hard on the neck and he would either die a mysterious death or go on to have horrible luck for the rest of his life. In the 1990s, a woman named Liz Thompson did an interview for the National Folklore Society magazine where she told her story of being a descendant of Atasha who was cursed by the Rat Queen. Liz said that on his deathbed, her great-grandfather, Jerry Sweetley, confessed that he had been seduced by the Rat Queen in his youth. One night, while he was doing his thing down in the sewers, he spotted a beautiful young woman who enticed him to go for drinks and dancing, and he just forgot all about his pregnant girlfriend at home. Well, apparently, he did not satisfy the Rat Queen, who bit him hard on the neck, promised him that his life would be cursed, and turned into a rat and scampered away. Unfortunately, Jerry did experience a lot of sadness. Um, his girlfriend ended up passing away during childbirth, and the woman that he married and had six children with also died in a freak accident. Liz Thompson believes that their family was cursed by the Rat Queen because legend goes that once a man has been bitten by the Rat Queen, one girl in each generation of his family would have two different colored eyes, sharp teeth, and abnormally good hearing. According to Liz, this legend has been true in their family, and she has two different colored eyes, great hearing, and sharp teeth. Maybe? Maybe. Three possibilities here. One, the Rat Queen is real. Two, the Toshers made her up to keep people out of their part of the sewer so that all of the shit treasure would be theirs and theirs alone. Or option three, some men really will just come up with any story to justify cheating on their partners. All right, let's move away from something that may or may not be a myth to something that actually is real. The old operating theater in London. This operating theater was originally part of the Thomas Medical Hospital, where Florence Nightingale started a nursing school. So a lot of really great things happened here, but a lot of really terrifying things happened, too. The operating theater was set up to work as a classroom for medical students. If you're a Grey's Anatomy fan, imagine where they sit, um, like in that observation area, to watch surgeries from a safe distance behind a glass wall. But at the operating theater in London, back in the day, there was no safe distance. The operating theater was just right there and you just stood around and watched them open people up. So the operating theater has a few rows of wooden stairs with a small operating area in the middle. Students would watch surgeries uh, be performed up close and personal with nothing to protect them and nothing ever went according to plan. This was also a thing before anesthetics were a thing, so the goal was to work quickly and safety was an afterthought. A lot of procedures performed in the theater were amputations. A surgeon named Robert Liston was known as the fastest knife in the West makes me nervous. He could perform an amputation at the femur in three minutes or less. His goal was to become even faster, but that did not come without consequences. He once killed three people in one surgery because of one amputation. Without the option of anesthesia, the patients had to be held down, which meant there were a lot of limbs in the vicinity. And during one of these surgeries, where Dr. Liston was trying to become the even faster knife of the West, he slipped and cut the fingers off of one of the nurses that was holding down this patient. The shock of this scene caused a man watching the surgery to have a heart attack, and the nurse and patient both died, unfortunately, from gangrene infections, which was not uncommon at the time. So thankful for modern medicine. Yikes. So a place with so much death and tragedy obviously has a very dark history, so of course there are hauntings here. Staff members have reported footsteps and screams when no one is in the building, and they have reported seeing a nurse in a 19th century uniform approach, but when she gets close enough, she disappears if they try to reach out to her. Possibly the ghost of Florence Nightingale. 
I like to think it is. So here's a spooky fact for you. Near the London Bridge, there is a giant spike statue, and this spike is called the Suffolk Gateway Needle, and it's literally just exactly what it sounds like, this giant pointy sculpture that is 16 meters or about 52 feet high. The spooky story about this is that it's meant to remind people that the city of London is not a place to cause trouble. In the 16th and 17th century, there was a giant spike that marked the city limits so that when people arrived, they would see this spike. But it wasn't just a spike. It was the spike that held the severed heads of criminals, troublemakers, and basically anybody who opposed the church. In 1598, a German visitor named Paul Hensner counted over 30 heads on the iron spikes at the south end of the bridge. Not sanitary. This is how plagues happen, besties. Anyways, this is the interesting urban legend people like to tell about the Suffolk Gateway Needle. The creator has since said that it's simply a marker that is tilted 19.5 degrees and points to the riverside opposite to the Church of St. Magus the Martyr. Apparently, that is where the original London Bridge was built in the 1100s, and then it of course fell down. We all know. Um, I think the scary warning spike is more interesting. So let's keep that legend alive. Keep spreading that rumor. Something interesting that goes along with that is that rather than heads on spikes to mark the borders of the city of London, there are now these 13 silver dragon statues that show a dragon holding a shield that's decorated with the city of London coat of arms. But the shield is upside down and no one really knows exactly why. And of course, having no answer leads people to come up with their own answers. So there's all these conspiracies about the meanings of the statues, why there are 13, the placement around the city and what that means. Anyways, that's worth an invest Google if you like weird history stuff. And then the last little bonus urban legend I want to share with you about London is the story of what happened to James Scott, the first Duke of Monmouth. In 16, now I'm questioning how everything is pronounced. Monmouth. Monmouth? I'm doing my best. <laughs> In 1685, King Charles II had a son with one of his many mistresses. As we know, the 1600s didn't love when people had illegitimate children, so James basically got the short end of the stick here. It's not his fault. However, he was able to marry into the aristocracy and was given many different titles, including the Duke of Monmouth. Unfortunately for King Charles, he didn't have any children who could take over the throne when he died, even though he had 14 of them but they were outside of wedlock, so it didn't count. When he died, the throne was passed to his brother. His son, James Scott, didn't love that, so he did what he felt he had to do and what was his right to do and tried to overthrow his uncle. He, of course, lost that fight and ended up in the Tower of London to wait for his execution date. James Scott would be beheaded by an executioner named Jack Ketch, who was apparently very bad at his job. James allegedly tried to bribe Jack with money, basically asking him to get the job done quickly and cleanly. And for whatever reason, Jack was just horrendous at this job. Maybe he was the only person in town willing to chop people's heads off, I don't know. But what I do know is that it took Jack several attempts to complete the beheading. That part is true. The urban legend comes in because of the aftermath. So Jack the Executioner had done such a horrible job hacking away at poor James's face and neck, and so he was very distorted and grisly. But that was when they realized they didn't have an official portrait of James. He was the Duke of Monmouth, after all. He had to have something to commemorate his memory. So they did what any group of rational royals would do. They sewed his face back together the best they could, reattached his head, and had the portrait painted. This is, of course, a fun urban legend that probably isn't true. Honestly, I wouldn't put it past this time. It, listen, people were wilding out here. I don't know. 
we have reached the end of today's dark history lesson. I hope that you liked this episode. I personally really enjoyed it. I like to do stuff like this. I think it's interesting to learn about history because there's usually something weird and scary inside of it. Um, for spooky season, I would really love to do an episode where I read your ghost stories. So please send me those. Anything haunted, creepy, if you played with a Ouija board, first of all, you're grounded. But second of all, I want to know about what happened. Um, anything unexplained. If you saw a UFO, if you went to a haunted house, if your town has an urban legend that gives you nightmares, I want to know. Send those to me at tgicrimeday at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. I also would love it if you could rate and review um, and share it with your friends. Help a creep out, you know. It's a creep squad. We're all friends here. Keep it spooky. Keep it pumpkin-y. I will talk to you soon. Bye. Haunted London. <laughs>